Good morning. <clears throat> Today's scripture reading is from the letter 1 John, verses 3 to 11. Now by this we may be sure. Sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I've come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this way, by this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Yet, I'm writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light. And in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer in the darkness walks in the darkness and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And all God's beloved said together, Amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our journey through the first uh, letter uh, of John. And as is our practice, I'd like to share a few observations about our passage and then invite you to share some of yours. And to help guide our reflections this morning, I would like to share the following prompts. So keep these in the back of your mind. Let them percolate and see if anything arises. First, when have you felt satisfied after helping or serving someone? And we'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that. And then secondly, where do you see fruit in the church today? Where do you see signs of life and love that indicate, that point to the presence of God's love in our midst? As we begin, I want to respond personally to that first question. When have I sensed a satisfaction after helping or serving others? The past two Saturdays, I have had the opportunity to volunteer at a local farm that friends of ours own. I've helped to transplant pumpkin seedlings from starter trays to freshly fertilized field in East Ladner. And so I was doing this all day yesterday. I'd take my left hand and make it into the shape of a small trowel. And then I would pull back the mixture of hay and manure that rested on top of the ground. And then with my right hand, I'd place a tiny pumpkin plant that was started in a small greenhouse, place it into the hole, making sure to ground the roots in the good soil. And then with both hands would take the loose dirt and the fertilizer and snugly secure it around the roots so that the plant could stand up straight and be firmly rooted in the soil. And then after that, I repeated, 
and repeated and repeated a few hundred, if not thousand times yesterday. Now I realize that my limited volunteering gives me a, a rather skewed and romanticized view of farming. Um, I, I leave at the end of the day. I got to leave at the end of the day yesterday and I didn't have to worry about aphids or blight or predators coming around, but I did have this experience. After hours of my back bent over and hands in the dirt, helping a small organic farm steward land well while contributing to food security and helping connect deltans to locally grown food. After that, my body felt fantastic. Now, let me be more specific about this. I felt fulfilled. My heart felt full. I'd even say that that experience, uh, I experienced a satisfaction in the soul that was akin to um, something spiritual in nature. Now, I'm aware that psychologists might uh, explain these feelings as helpers high. Neuroscientists tell us that when humans reach out and help others through acts of genuine loving kindness, that our brains release endorphins and cause us to experience a profound sense of satisfaction, joy, and euphoria. Helpers high. You can look it up. It's a thing. But I also think that there is a spiritual explanation that helps us understand a deep sense of satisfaction that we feel when we roll up our sleeves and participate in acts of loving kindness. So this morning, I invite you to consider the words of 1 John with me. But first, let's set the scene once again so we can hear John well and accurately. When John's writing this letter, he's in the, the end years, the end season of his life. He's maybe in his 80s, and he's the last of the 12 original apostles still alive. And he's writing to a network of churches that existed around the ancient city of Ephesus. And there are certain philosophical and spiritual ideas that have begun to spread throughout this network of house churches and cause controversy. Church controversy has been around for a very long time. And John is quite concerned about what's going on. And he warns throughout this letter of deceivers and liars and anti-messiahs and false prophets. And people are following a false teaching that was likely a form of mysticism and philosophy called Gnosticism. Say that with me this morning, Gnosticism. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. And the Gnostics viewed the material world, the things of the earth, as fallen or evil or compromised or contaminated. But the spiritual world, the world of insight and esoteric ideas were seen as pure and good and godly. So there was a binary and a dichotomy that existed in Gnosticism. So the notion that the divine would mix and mingle intimately with the material world was an embarrassment to Gnostic thought. The idea of God become flesh was crude and grotesque. And there was a form of Gnosticism called docetism. Say that with me, docetism. 
and it spread the belief that Jesus only seemed to have a real flesh and blood body, but it was a bit of an illusion. He was really just a spirit, sort of a divine phantasm or a wisdom teacher, but a crucified son of God who was pierced with a Roman spear with the bodily fluids of water and blood oozing from his side, that was sought to be a form of thought to be a form of lowbrow spirituality. And the Gnostics were literally, they thought they were above that. The Gnostics thought, if you really want to know Jesus, the real Jesus, if you want true, pure spirituality, you have to have special knowledge. You got to have sophisticated, highbrow God talk and a certain purity of theology, uncontaminated. And you could also escape the dirty earth by having certain ecstatic spiritual experiences that could lift you up out of the mundane nitty gritty into the lofty heights of heaven, where you could then look look down upon everyone else who was stuck in a form of crude Christianity 101. So the churches are trying to discern, what do we make of these Gnostic beliefs that are circulating through our community? With that historical background sketched, we're ready to hear 1 John 2, 3. John writes this. Now by this, we may be sure that we know him. No, it's a form of gnosis. John's speaking to Gnosticism. Tell us, Elder John, how do we know who knows Jesus? With all these ideas circulating, how do we know who truly knows the true Jesus? Great question then, great question today. In times of theological controversy, how do we know who knows what they're talking about? How do we know who's connected to and in sync with the real Jesus? Will the real Jesus followers please stand up? John, help us identify them. John writes, now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we, but if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I've come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such person, the truth does not exist. For John, the tell that somebody truly knows Jesus is if they keep his commands. And now a quick read to the Sermon of the Mount reveals that Jesus has given us a lot of commands. So which commands do we need to obey in order to know that we are really following the true Jesus? Well, John summarizes Jesus' commands for us and boils them down into their essence, writing later on in the letter. And he has given us this command. He's making it pretty clear for us. Those who love God must also love one another. John goes on to say, hey, this is both something old and something new. Theologian uh, N.T. Wright says this, if Moses had heard Jesus talk about love, sort of as a summary of Old Testament commands, he would have said, that's it. That's the heart of what these commandments were all about. Those who love God love others. So according to John, those who truly know Jesus are those who embody the love of God in their love for others. True knowledge of Jesus is demonstrated through our embodied love. And you see, this is at the crux of the controversy that splits churches both ancient and modern. The Gnostics thought that true knowledge of God was proved in the mind. They thought that real Christians were known by their thoughts about God. 
But for John, evidence of intimacy with Christ does not come in the form of spiritual thoughts or godly goosebumps, but in our embodied acts of love for one another. That is the litmus test for John that he's offering to these churches. John says, the Gnostics seem to think that their knowledge of God is proved by their words, but their bodies betray them. Their lack of love made flesh proves their ignorance of the God who was made flesh in Jesus of Nazareth, who was born covered in amniotic fluid, who touched dirt, who spat in his hands, who was crucified, died, and was buried, who rose again and ate fish and broke bread and allowed Thomas to put his hand in the wound of his side. John presses the point even further. He says, whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. Now in Greek, reaching perfection is not about flawlessness. It's about being fulfilled or reaching an intended goal. And in order to understand what, what, what John is getting at, and he's really getting at the essence of the Christian life. We need to dwell on the love of God in this verse. And I want to invite you to lean in, and I know it can be hard over Zoom, but please lean in at this point, because I don't want us to miss what John has on offer for us this morning. Let us remember, John is bearing witness to the life of Jesus that he saw with his own eyes and touched with his own hands. This is wisdom that John has discerned from direct contact. Now you see in the Greek, the words translated love of God here can be understood in two ways, as God's love for us and our love for God. The love of God, is it God's love for us or our love of God? Your Bible most likely has a footnote pointing this out. And when scholars reflect on this verse, they have a hard time deciding how to translate it and to definitively put their finger on which one it is. Is it God's love for us or our love for God that is perfected through love of others? One scholar, Judith Liu, puts it this way. It is ambiguous whether the love that is thus completed through our love of others is God's love for us or our love for God. And the ambiguity is perhaps best left unresolved. Let me break this down for us, friends. God's love is not complete. God's love is not satisfied or finished until it moves through us. You may be familiar with the North African theologian Augustine of Hippo, who famously prayed this prayer. God, our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our heart is restless until it rests in you. But John, the beloved disciple, might pray something like this. God, your love is restless within us. It's restless within our hearts until it reaches out and touches others. John is telling us something vital here about the love of God. The love of God flows from God to us. It fills our hearts, but is not content to stay there. God's love is not finished or complete, resting in the reservoir of our own souls. The love of God longs to flow through us like a river, finding satisfaction or perfection when through our body, it touches other bodies. But John also wants us to understand something else about the love of God, and we have to hold this as well. Friends, hear this. 
the phrase love of God can not only be understood as God's love that comes from God to us and flows through us, but it can also be understood as our love for God finding completion when we love others. So our worship finds completion. Our devotion finds fulfillment. Our love of God reaches its end, its goal, its telos, its perfection as we love others. And I suggest that is why when we serve others with concrete, filmable acts of loving kindness, when I say filmable that you could see it if you had a video camera, when we serve others with concrete, filmable acts of loving kindness, when God's love is enfleshed through our bodies, when we love the world God has made, died for, and is making new, then we experience a deep spiritual satisfaction of the soul. Because I think that's how the universe works, made by a God who loved, who loved the sun before the foundation of the world. So let us pause for a moment and I offer a question. When have you felt that soul satisfaction as the love of God found completion, perfection, fulfillment as it flowed through you in concrete acts of service or kindness, mercy or justice? Has a story big or small come to anyone's mind? I shared with you one of mine off the top, but I'm wondering if somebody else has felt that soul satisfaction knowing the love of God has flowed through them and touched someone else recently. Another way to ask it may be, when have you felt satisfied, a soul satisfaction? And then think, how might the love of God be made complete or find fulfillment? How was it finding fulfillment through me at that moment? This is how we discern, friends, the work of the Spirit in our lives and in the world. You're on notice now, though, friends. So Hi. Yes, who do we have? This is Megan. Megan. I 100% have found satisfaction in helping my kids right now as we were doing Hot Wheels and helping Timber figure out how to set up the Hot Wheels as we're doing church together. <laughs> and I find true satisfaction in this and ever since they were babies. Just providing for them how I can and meeting their needs. So great. Thank you, Megan. Recognize and honor and bear witness to the love of God flowing through you, finding completion and perfection and fulfillment in your parenting. Lee. Yeah, Ted. I, I think not to uh, be more uh, less than specific, but I think we found over the years uh, living open-handed and being able to sh share, you know, the many blessings that we receive, whether it be our house or our cars or our vacation, 
places we've had over the years. If we live open-handedly, we get much joy and, and satisfaction in being able to open our lives instead of just holding everything tightly. And so without being, you know, very specific, it's just that overall sense of living open-handedly and sharing uh, as uh, God nudges or needs come up in our community or even outside of our community, whether it be all the way overseas and some of our main, many experiences we've, we've shared with people overseas. Thanks, Ted. Well said. I love that open-handed gesture, allowing things to flow. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to share about my uh, 96-year-old father. Some of you know that uh, I'm putting his poetry into a book. And uh, so it, I call him every day and we chat about it and that kind of thing. So one day I call him and he's, he's very frustrated. And my father gets frustrated very easily. And he said, Irene, I read this article somewhere that that verse in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 10, we are God's workmanship. I read somewhere in a journal that workmanship is the Greek word for paoma, which is where we get our word poem. I cannot find it, Irene. I looked at, I am so frustrated. So anyways, I go online while we're chatting and I find it. And uh, it was very satisfying. So I sent that link to him. He read it and he ended up wrote, writing a poem called, called We Are God's Poetry. Hmm. So anyways, that was very satisfying. So great. What a great story, Irene. Thank you for, for sharing that with us. I have a chance to um, go to the church and um, pull some weeds. And um, sometimes I feel alone because I feel I'm the only one there. And the other day when I went, I, I was a bit reluctant because I was tired and my hands were sore. But when I got there, there was Gary Cake. And I thought, I'm not alone. There are other people that are, are doing this work as well. And it get, gave me a real sense of accomplishment that mm. I wanted to be there and, and do even more. So seeing somebody else along with me gave me that sense of satisfaction. Thanks. Mm. Thanks, Ellie. Lee, are, uh, this is Brad Funk. Are you allowed to have two Funks talk on the same? We'll allow it. Okay. Of course. <laughs> well, I had tremendous satisfaction yesterday. Um, I'm currently up in, in Chase, and uh, we had a wedding in the family yesterday with my dad's side of the family. And I have an aunt in Salmon Arm whose husband my dad's brother died last October. About two weeks after he died, my cousin developed cancer, uh, her daughter. And uh, anyways, her daughter is battling cancer, but she was very involved in this wedding that happened yesterday and doing the flowers. Um, because she's been battling cancer, they have been able to go up and see their mom. 
she lives down on the coast and her mom lives in Salmon Arm, as I said. So, and her mom also doesn't have Wi-Fi, she doesn't have a computer, she doesn't have a cell phone. So, this wedding was going to be put on live, on Zoom type of thing yesterday. And so, I said, what a great thing, I'll go up and I'll put her there so she can see the wedding and see her daughter at the wedding. And uh, she hadn't seen her since October. And uh, she was so excited uh, at this experience. And then after it was over, I said, why don't we see if we can FaceTime them? And she did. And uh, for me, it was so gratifying just to watch this connection happen with, with the family. I mean, she was so thankful, but I was so thankful to be part of that process. Anyways. struck by your phrase, grateful, thankful to be part of that process. Reminds me of participation. John's talking about earlier in the year, fellowship. We're drawn into this fellowship, this flow and exchange of the love of God that it sounds like you've got to participate in. And I think for all of us, as we go through this letter, we're cultivating our discernment to see when are, when have we been drawn in, whether we're pulling weeds, or helping others, helping our kids, coordinating a wedding. When are we being drawn in to participating in the love of God that flows? We're going to move to our, the second movement. It's shorter than the first movement uh, to get to our second prompt. But if there are folks who'd like to share around this first one, just hold on to it and we'll have another opportunity in a few minutes. In a way, John's letter is, is, is a lesson in discernment for these churches. He wants to help folks discern if someone has a genuine, life-giving, fruit-producing relationship with Jesus, if they're experiencing life-giving fellowship with the God of the universe. John writes this, by this we may be sure that we are in him. We have a life-giving relationship. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Now, you know, writing teachers will tell you not to mix metaphors, but biblical authors do it all the time. And one of the mixed metaphors that biblical authors, Old Testament, New Testament alike use is that of a walking tree, kind of like a tree end from the, the Lord of the Rings. Paul says it uh, this way in his letter to the, the church in Colossae. He says, uh, walk in Christ rooted and built up in him. So it's, it's moving through the world while rooted in the love of God. That's the image that comes forth in this picture of a walking tree. And John says, those who are truly rooted in Jesus, connected to the true vine and grounded in the love of God ought to walk. And that verb also means live in Greek, and you see it, your translation may have lived, it's also walk in some translations, like him. And John, I think, has learned this kind of discernment from Jesus. Jesus, who said that people who are rooted in God can be recognized from their fruit. He says that in the Sermon on the Mount. And John suggests that people who are rooted in Jesus ought to live, ought to walk, and ought to love like Jesus. 
that are moved through the world, blessing people's humanity, protecting the dignity of the dehumanized, speaking truth with courage as Jesus did, lowering the lofty, um, lifting the lowly, stooping down to wash people's feet and walking the difficult path of sacrificial love. And John, John also says that people who aren't rooted in Jesus don't live like Jesus. They hate people. And that can look like all kinds of things from murder, as we'll talk about later, to passive aggressive uh, uh, communication with one another. He says, these folks are walking in darkness. And, 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 and let's contemplate that for a minute. If you walk in darkness, what is it like? You, you stumble around, you aren't sure of your footing, you're not rooted. We bump into things, things may tip over, we cause damage, we may bang into other people causing harm, throwing people off kilter. So if rooted people love people wherever they go, then I think mystic and activist Simone Weil is right when she basically says, uprooted people uproot people wherever they go. And during the pandemic, an image that we've lifted up for us is that of the Arbutus tree. To, co to communicate the reality that people rooted in God's love live and love people like Jesus. And Arbutus trees, as you know, are often seen on rocky bluffs here on the West Coast. They're striking red trunks stretching out 45 degrees into the sun and su supported by the dense uh, wood of their trunk, the Arbutus is able to lean out towards the ocean while withstanding the onslaught of wind and salt water whipped up by coastal storms. But because the Arbutus is well-rooted, it can lean out and rise into the world. And during the pandemic, we've created a series of prayer liturgies that people can use on their own or with others. I use them along with a few folks Monday through Thursday in the morning. And the image, the, the liturgies include the image of the Arbutus. Because for me, before I really get into my day, before I reach out into the lives of other people, whether that's responding to emails or making phone calls or meeting with people, before I lean into the interpersonal storms, before I engage in the structural evils of this world, I need to ground myself in the love of God, to root down and ground myself in God's love so that I can then walk, live, and love like Jesus. And prayer helps us ground ourselves again and again in the love of God. And as we return to an awareness of God's love, because we forget about it all the time, we begin to cultivate over time slowly an awareness of when we're grounded and when we become unmoored. When we're carried away by the appetite of our ego or mired down in the mud of shame, over time, we begin to develop an awareness of when we're rooted and when we're defensive, when we're armored up and when we're unmoored, untethered from the love of God. And the love of God remains unsatisfied. Our, our worship of God is, is, is incomplete. Our devotion partial until we're able to be rooted in God's love and to love others. And then God's love finds, and our love for God finds completion, perfection, fulfillment. And learning to cultivate an awareness of when we're rooted in that love is key to perfecting, to fulfilling the love of God in our lives and in the world. 
And prayer helps us abide by grounding ourselves in the love of God so we can walk rooted in the love of Jesus, be these walking trees that nourish that we're called to be. So as we wrap up, I find this letter of 1 John to be just fascinating. The churches wrote to John because they were, or John writes to the churches because they're mired in controversy. And essentially, John writes this letter as a lesson in discernment. He says, here's how you can find your way through this controversy. I know there's all kinds of ideas swirling around, the Gnostic and Docetic ideas that are popular at the time. Here's how you can find your way through, friends. Look at the fruit of people's lives. Look for the love. Where do you see folks loving others? in the church? Where do you see people loving others in the style of Jesus? Because when you see that, you see a sign that the love of God is being fulfilled. And so today, our second discernment question, where do you see fruit in the church? Where do you see signs of life and love that indicate the presence God's love flowing, finding perfection and fulfillment in us and through us. We'll pause just for a moment before we come to the Lord's table. And if anybody has seen a sign of fruit, of God's love flowing, maybe you've seen it through the life of somebody else. I mean, our church or the church at large, the global church. Or if you want to share around that first question, when have you sensed satisfaction as you've helped others? Let's just pause for a moment and see if anybody would like to share. In the chat, Christina has written the meals of support ministry shows me the fruit of God's love. Such a tactile, concrete, filmable expression of God's love finding fulfillment. I saw the fruit of the church at Christmas time when, although we weren't gathered, the gathering space, the sanctuary was filled with donations, filmable acts of love for the migrant worker community and the support that the church offers to John and Kim and to that community at large. We also in the chat from Selma committing to get a child to basketball practice so the parent didn't have to worry about getting home from work on time. Concrete, filmable act of loving kindness. Thank you. I heard a news story, I think it was this week, about um, countries that have a dire need for the vaccine. And uh, one, of the, one of the groups that the newscasters said are helping and um, committing to purchasing vaccine is MCC. So mm -hmm. I thought that's, that's a case where the church is reaching out where it's desperately needed. Thanks, Barbara, for lifting that up. I did not know that. All right, Carol's, Carol's in the chat here. 
Olia as she prays and prepares meals every Monday for those in the downtown east side through Fresh Wave and the whole Fresh Wave crew. Roger, who's constantly caring for our building. I agree. <laughs> the DeMellos, right, Indigenous Neighbors Ministry that is moving forward with the work of reconciliation on these lands. And what an image, one of the images often used for reconciliation is walking, which is right from this text, walking in the style, in the way of Jesus, who gives us the ministry of reconciliation. The carrier family who leads us in learning and moving us towards reconciliation, also in the chat. Well, friends, I feel, I feel um, filled having heard from you all uh, react to this text, respond to this text. So thank you. And I invite you to join me just in a word of prayer as we draw this reflection to a close. And then I'm going to invite Ted and Janet to um, help us come to the Lord's table. God, we read in your word that your love stretches back before the foundation of the world. When you, Father, Creator, poured out your love to the Son, Jesus, and then through the Son incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth, who shows us what love is, your love has come to us. God, we open our hearts now again, whether for the first time today or maybe for the first time ever intentionally, saying, God, I don't understand how this could be true, that your love has existed since the foundation of the world, and it comes to us through this person of Jesus and Nazareth. I don't get it all, but what I hear intrigues me and is compelling. And I'm open to that. If that resonates with you, just open your heart and say, God, flood me with your love. Let it flow through me even more so that I may know a deep soul satisfaction like no other. And so that my love for you may be complete. Let it flow. Let it flow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. Amen. <laughs>